right, hello and welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan and Josh. Hello there. And Marcelo. Hey, everyone. Well, it's good to have everybody back. Today we're going to be discussing how California plans to ban non-EVs or electric vehicles by the year 2035, specifically from what we've gathered from the policy. It's looking like they're going to just not allow them to be sold. So how the ins and outs of that take place will be up for debate, but we can talk about a different uh, different paths and hypotheticals and things like that. And before we get into it, remember that you can help out this channel massively by liking and subscribing and hitting the notification buttons to make sure that you know when we're live so you can chat with us and we can respond to your questions and tell you what great comments you have. So with that, let's go ahead and let's let's just start with uh, what else do we know about the policy other than the fact that they're not going to allow cars to be sold that are not EVs? I think one of the highlights out of the announcement is that this is not necessarily recent. It was introduced in 2020 um, and around September, and this is just when they voted on it and they, they passed it, right? So it, it was announced a couple of years ago. And they were like, we might do it, we might announce it. And then finally, they're like, okay, we're, we're actually approving it. And this is actually going, in, going into effect. And, and, but again, this is not a, like you said, 2035, it's not tomorrow, right? You're not, they're not going to come to your house and take your, uh, your uh, gas guzzling vehicle out of your home. Um, they might, I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, knowing these people, right? But, but you know. In, in all seriousness, they will not do it tomorrow. Right. It'll just going to take some time, and they're they're going to announce the the, the, the total sale of vehicles, and they're not going to be able to. You're just not going to be able to buy them in California anymore past 2035. Yep. And this is a law and a policy decision that isn't like unique to the United States. We've seen whole countries over in Europe take this action. I know France has passed legislation along these lines, although I think they may be implementing their sales stoppage a little bit later than California. But this is, and I like the example that Governor Gavin uh, Newsom used when he was talking about it, of one day we'll look at internal combustion engine cars as road refunds. That in the long-term perspective of it, this is inevitable technological process because on a variety of different factors, electric power vehicles are just outright better than gasoline power vehicles. They're more dynamic. They're more responsive to user control. You can have more reliable engine structure. You can have better distribution of power in the machine to allow for better traction and better safety controls on a per wheel basis that you just don't get with um, any type of internal combustion car. So I do think it's, it, it is, if anything, it's just the government trying to speed up the technological adoption of technology that will eventually come to be the only technology. Um, the government's just trying to use regulatory force to speed up that adoption. Now, there does, there does come a point where we almost have to force the adoption of something, right? Because, I mean, even, even Joe Biden's press secretary has said in the past that if it's difficult for you to get around in a gas-guzzling vehicle, then good, you make the switch. And I think that in this case, California is trying to make sure that their citizens make that switch. They don't have a choice. And they have laid it out, I think, to try and, as in, like, pushed it down the road, right? This is... 12, 13 years from now, depending on what part of the year that they wind up putting it into place. And then that's not even going to say that you're going to have these cards confiscated or moved by that time. They're just going to not allow you to purchase them. So my question then is, uh, do we just shift? Are we going to, you know, buy your illegal cars across the border and come in from Nevada then? Or are they not? Like, I, I'm curious how they'll implement this or, or what type of a, a change this will actually have. Like overall, of course, it'll pull down the numbers if they're harder to get. But I, I, I do wonder like how this will actually see the benefits of, of less carbon emissions. 
I think people will be surprised at the amount of other people who are basically happily and willing to take the path of least resistance. Okay. I don't think uh, there will, you know, you will have your, your random crazy person who's like, you know, like, oh, no, I love gas. Like, I drink gas on the daily. <laughs> like, I want a vehicle that runs on gas. But for the most part, I believe if you tell people, hey, this vehicle, like Josh said, is not only better for you, it's better for the environment, mm-hmm. probably better for your pocket if you account for the, the subsidies and, and, and all of the rebates that are coming with the IRA, then people are going to be like, does it save you money? Most likely. Is it legal to buy? Yeah, sure. Then sure, I'll get it. I, I don't. Again, I, I think the, the the banning of the other car sales is as much of a tactic to incentivize people to buy electric vehicles as much as it is a tactic to incentivize the private sector to start producing more of these vehicles in the first place. Because you have other companies already, like Ford, traditionally making gas-powered vehicles, moving and shifting and taking advantage, obviously, of the benefits the government is providing to develop and make these vehicles cheaper and more accessible. So it's 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 a double whammy, right? Like you get people interested in, in buying them by basically making those the only ones available. But you also tell the private industry, hey, you should probably start investing in these and start trying to push that. Um, because right now you have lots of people who are using them already. Yeah. And, and- California is the largest um, automotive market in the United States. So just this act automatically forces every single auto manufacturer by 2035 to have to have a fleet uh, selection of electric vehicles for customers in California to be to be bought. So outside of the including the United States as a whole, the number one place cars are bought and sold. So it'll have a significant industry-wide impact of what they're putting their money towards, what they're researching. And with any technology that starts off more expensive and accessible because of that expense, as we get better at manufacturing, as we get more of our manufacturing plants converted over to, to make these vehicles, we'll see their price drop lower and lower and lower to the prices we see cars being sold at today. You know, if not, depending on what subsidies the government passes or how many of the current automotive subsidies will transfer over to electric vehicles. So it, I, I agree. It's definitely that two-factor prong, like Marcelo said. So I understand the two-factor prong. I think there's a, a second avenue, and this is usually what we've been seeing going. And Josh, you talked about manufacturing. California, let's say that you know, you've got your big companies out there that let's say that they're, they've got their largest manufacturing Everything you mentioned, I think, is conditioned on the fact that they get in line and then they decide, yes, the market, even outside of California, is is good enough to truly switch to EVs because there's another avenue that they could take. They'll move elsewhere. And if the U.S. and other areas is not as welcoming, then they'll go to other countries that will produce these because the demand is going to be there. And what I'm worried about seeing is that you'll have you know giant corporations like Ford and things where there are jobs here that are then shipped out to either other parts of the country and California loses that or outside the nation, the U.S. loses that because what you're telling these companies is you cannot sell these companies and, or you, excuse me, you cannot sell these cars in California, which would also mean that they can't sell them and manufacture, like if you manufacture them and they're not EVs, they're dead in the water. So the companies will have to move if they choose to not produce EVs. As far as I'm aware, there's not a ton of automotive manufacturing in California to begin with, but I also think that plays into the larger global atmosphere. Ford is not concerned overly, you know, entirely even about its market and, you know, the United States. Um, Because as, you know, the European Union as a whole considers legislation like this to then frame it, you know, if you want to sell goods at all to the largest European market, 
then it's going to have to be an electric vehicle. Then a single United States state isn't too much of a factor in that of it's already a global trend and the progression of technology anyways. Um, these cars are just better than internal combustion engine cars. There's nothing about them that is conceivably worse other than what we can, can say is the range, which is something that is dramatically improving with every generation of these vehicles and not in a consideration for most people in your day to day. Most people's use of their car is a commute to work and back. And so in some sense, a gas and electric vehicle is going to be a lot more convenient because you never have to go to the gas station. You plug it up when you get home at the end of the work on the, uh, today and you leave with a full tank of gas every single day. Per um, Perhaps I misunderstood your point. I thought you were saying there was a large portion. Now that I've checked, it looks like it's like 2.8%. For that 2.8%, for the people who want to manufacture in California, that choice will be there. The rest of what you said, I think I just misattributed your point there then, Josh, and I'm sorry about that. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, so it's not as, so I don't think, feel like, the, yeah, the manufacturing to me is not a concern of where it's taking place. Um, most auto companies have shifted outside of the country for 30 years now. Um, which I, I think, think <laughs> I think a lot of people would say that's a problem, right? That we're losing our manufacturing, um, and that it's and then it's leaving the U.S. It's going out to countries like China, um, who are our global competitors, to an well, extent. Service economy is the next stage of economic development past industrial economy. And, and what, do, what what do you mean by that? Like where where would that take us uh, then? You're saying that we, we should generate, get out of manufacturing. Yeah, we generate more money and more economic uh, movement with office jobs than we do manufacturing jobs. We just Office jobs pay more. Um, they're better for the people who work them. Um, I think that really depends on the office job because like, you know you get you get skilled labor. I know this goes beyond just car manufacturing and things like that, but like the the skilled labor that is production, it, it can definitely pay better than some office jobs if you actually compare them one to one. It really just depends on a case by case basis, I think. But it's also not a one per one basis. For every t you know thousand office workers, you probably only need a single plumber or two, a single carpenter or two. Um, there's not enough trade for everyone to be in trade jobs. So so then looking at this from a global perspective, because you said it doesn't really matter uh, where the manufacturing goes, cars will still be produced somewhere, right? Like that, we will just see a shift and we might see a shift in what they produce and we might see a, a shift in where they produce it. To me, if we set policies in the United States, right? And we've, we've talked about how, you know, California likes to be at the further left-hand side of the Democratic wing with their policies. They're the most concerned in implementing the tangible change, right? Like we're not seeing a lot of the other states right now implement the green initiatives that California is. So they're, they're a bit ahead of their time in that sense. But what we're looking at here then is that California, if, if they edge it out and then we're like, Hey, let's, we want to get this to the full U S there are enough people who, who do want the non EVs that I, I think that we'll start seeing a problem. And you keep saying that, you know, they're, they're, they're more efficient. Are you comparing what we have right now, or are you saying like the, the potential for them, they'll be more efficient on a one-to-one -one ratio with the, the gas-guzzling cars? What, what were you guys, because I heard you both say it, I just want to make sure that I understand where you're coming. From. No, right now they're more efficient. Like right now, the, the, you, if, if you compare the, the same brands, like even the same cars, like uh, the only reason why EVs are not widely distributed is because we're still across the country lacking in the infrastructure required. You can find a gas station every couple of miles, but you can you cannot do the same for many uh, for EV charging stations. And that's and that's so, that's fair. We do lack that infrastructure to charge. Yeah, I th I think yeah. Uh, but I've, last time I checked the numbers, e EVs are more cost effective once you get past the okay. bump of building the infrastructure and getting the vehicle. Electricity is just cheaper. 
Okay. And it also has to do with the nature of gasoline. There are fuel fuel there are few fuels on the planet worse than gasoline when it comes to how much energy we get out of it versus how bad they are. So even if they we can shift off cars running on gasoline and get them running on an electric grid that is powered entirely by natural gas, say, that's a lot better than burning an equivalent amount of gasoline to move those cars around because natural gas is a better environmental burn, even if we still don't want it. It's better than gasoline. Gasoline's a better, kinder fuel than diesel is. Diesel's a kinder fuel than jet fuel and the really heavy diesel they use for inter- um, uh, shippings. So unless it's like a 100% coal fire energy grid it's going to be more preferable to burn electricity regardless of how we generate it than to burn gasoline okay now when you guys had said that they're more efficient some of the things that i was thinking that came to mind is where they're less efficient you do not as of right now you do not get the same amount of power torque etc on some of these electric cars that you do on some of the gas cars i understand that you know you're obviously consuming less gas and obviously, if you compare the gas usage of an EV to a gas vehicle, I mean, of course, I got to give you that point that they're going to they're gonna consume less. We, we currently don't have the infrastructure. California definitely doesn't have the infrastructure. Like, I feel like this is, you know, they, they, they rely a lot on solar, which is problematic because they don't have the capacity to hold the energy that they need. That's why they need so many brownouts and blackouts to make sure that they don't blow their, their power grids and they still blow them at times. My concern then is trying to implement this on a national scale because I know that's the goal. And hand in hand with the EVs, we also see, I mean, I know, Josh, you mentioned using uh, things like natural gas. They're also trying to get rid of a lot of that as well. That concerns me because then you're getting rid of, you know, pound for pound. It's far more effective than solar or wind. And that seems to be what at least California is leading the way in trying to replace this stuff with. So the problem with the blackouts... Like the problem with the concept that the blackouts are caused by renewable energy is that that's just not true. Like, there's California is not run by solar panels that keep breaking, and that's why they have brownouts. It's that the grid is already so strained because California's grid is a strain, like always, and it's suffering droughts and it's suffering like all of these brownouts uh, because of the nature that the infrastructure is not well equipped enough. I think that is the case considering. Like with or without the solar panels, this would be the case. With or without the wind, the wind turbines, this would be the case. It's the same thing for Texas. When Texas froze last year, uh, this was the fault of of many uh, energy. It, the, the energy industries there did not take the necessary precautions, and it was not the windmills that failed. It was the traditional oil rigs that didn't just bring enough power to the cities, and that's why in in the Texas freeze, many people died. Like this is a problem that is not unique, and it's not even like entirely responsible uh, or entirely caused by uh, renewable energy. It's something that has already has always existed. But and you're you're right that it did happen with non-renewable energy in the case of Texas. But that took extreme conditions in an extreme circumstance. We don't see that on an everyday basis. California has literally just been a part of their culture. Oh, yep, you gotta you're gonna experience brownouts and blackouts. Are you saying then that if if they were to use and supplement more with carbon-based energy that they they would still need those brownouts and experience those brownouts and blackouts? So I want to, yes, the short answer is yes. The, okay. the, the long answer to, to, to what Josh was saying is that 
if you want to just limit the conversation to electric vehicles, it, you have to consider the fact that um, electric vehicles, and uh, it, even in the amount of energy that they burn, they're more efficient than gas-powered vehicles. That's why that's why Josh was comparing the gas to gas thing. Okay. It's because when we talk about okay, you're using electricity, but what if your electricity is still being generated by a power plant that is being fueled by fossil fuels? Is that even then it takes less energy for the EV to run than it would take for a, your everyday uh, gas guzzler to run because it burns, it, it's more efficient in the amount of energy that it takes. So even in the worst of scenarios, which is where every EV in the, in the country, every EV in California is being powered by power grids that are themselves being powered by natural gas, it's still more efficient and it's still better. And it would in, inevitably cause a less of an energy strain. Which but you obviously need to equip the grid to be able to handle like this entire capacity, which is why they're not banning the gas cars tomorrow, right? They're they're banning them in thirteen years. Right. No, and 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 I I see what you're saying there as far as the 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 direct comparison. Um, even if you you still because because that is I think still a very valid criticism of their system is that they're still using fossil fuels to charge these vehicles and what you're saying then is that there is less fossil fuels less CO2 emissions to charge these even when we use those than for the vehicles themselves I understand that now here's the thing in a one-to-one comparison that you've presented you're pulling ahead we have to look at the ecosystem though the the entire system of the EV trade-off because now you got to look at lithium batteries, which are far more damaging, both in what it takes to mine, far more destructive to the environment, and we can't get rid of them. So it's just a toxic thing that continues to exist. And so with the vehicles that we've got, while they might have less on the CO2 emissions damage, they're much higher on the lithium batteries, which actually as a whole does more damage. Uh, no, it doesn't. Lithi- like Lithium mining is bad and it destroys forests, um, but Carbon pollution is going to destroy every single forest. The reason Texas is having ex- extreme weathers and extreme freezes is because of climate change. The reason California's grid right now is being so taxed and the high heat waves they've been having and the droughts they've been having is because of climate change. So if we can sacrifice small regions of mines um, in order to extract mineral, if it means we can save every forest on the planet. And that's the trade-off that we're essentially making here. Because you know, you talked about you know Texas had a worst case scenario happen, and those are uncommon. But as we've even just seen in past the, the you know twenty years since Katrina, worse weather events are weather events are becoming not only more intense, whether they're hurricanes, tornadoes, or just everyday thunderstorms. But we're seeing colder winters and hotter summers. This is the impact that we're experiencing with climate change. California, if it stays burning, um, and the world kept burning gasoline cars, would eventually be incapable of running its grid at all because the electricity demands from air conditioning. That's part of the reason of why California's grid right now is so stressed during the drought, just to cool the buildings and cool the people that live there to the American standards, you know, the United States living standard they're they're used to, takes a lot of energy. One of the reasons Texas grids fail wasn't necessarily entirely because um, junction points broke or, or grid points broke, but because of the incredible demand that got pulled when everyone turned their heaters on and everything got cold and it snapped the system as well. And so that's why it took a hot minute to fix because they not only had to fix equipment that had broke because of the freeze, but then also damage that was done to the system by the incredible power draw of everyone's heaters. And 
largely that's what California is doing the same. You see there's been government posters from their environmental department saying, hey, put your AC, you know, up at like 76. 78 now. 78 because it's way too hot out there. It's getting hotter every single year. But in in portions of the nation, though, that are, yes, still experiencing the climate change, yes, still dealing with these issues because they haven't shifted completely off onto a less a significantly less efficient, right? If we were talking about California switching from carbon to nuclear, we would be having a completely different conversation, but they've switched to the solar and the wind. The solar they don't have, and they've actually stated this, we don't have the ability to retain that power when the sun goes down right now, which means that you're just kind of dealing with the solar no. capabilities during the day. So because they're dealing with the climate change, but they're dealing with it off of any of the carbon-based emis- uh, carbon powers they're actually having a more adverse effect than the rest of the nation because the rest of the nation no. isn't isn't cutting that off you're, you're dealing no. with the same climate change i'm not saying that it's the same temperature across the u.s but the but reason switching, california's grid is so strained is because they refuse to use more true. efficient energy sources you could burn more energy in california and it wouldn't matter because they can't push more energy out the problem is and for one electricity is pulled not pushed in the first place if everyone in, in California set their air conditionings at uh, 72 degrees, they could burn every ounce of gasoline and all of the oil reserves and every type of fuel in there, and the power grid would fail because it's demanding too much from the system. It isn't a matter even of capacity generation. It's transformers and street equipment can only handle so much voltage, and our power consumption is rising and rising and rising, and the power consumption for our computers, they're going to be household graphic cards that are getting sold with 600, 700, 1,000 watt requirements nowadays, when a computer used to require less than 200 watts to run. Now almost every single desktop in American household requires 500 watts to run. And that's been happening with a lot of our systems. We've So it's not even just we're not generating enough power because generating the power isn't the problem. It's everything else about spreading the power around and how the grid is designed to use it that we're just using more power than it's designed for, even if we could generate as much power as we felt like. But I'm not saying that generating the power is the issue. I'm saying retaining the power. Because when you have a system that is based on the power of the sun or of the wind, and right, you have no ability to store now. it, but they do. But that's they have not no what's ability. happening now. California right, fine, literally. They have no ability to store it. But that's not the current problem. California the stated, problem. their department stated, we do not have batteries that can retain. Yeah. yeah. So that but they, that's not why they're having brownouts. That is true, but also not the cause of, of, of their power struggles right now. It is the grid. It is the things in the boxes on the street. It is the wires running to people's homes that cannot, if they pull at max currency, the grid will fail because it's not designed to send that much energy in the first place. We're using too much power. Then, then, well, then why is Gavin Newsom only targeting at night? Because what he's saying is that once it hits 4 p.m., you have the combination, like you had mentioned, of too many people needing this energy combined with we no longer have the ability to store and send it after dark. But when are people at home? They're at home, well, I mean, after four. Yes, so there's more people. Everyone gets home and turns their air conditioning on. But he's telling them, leave it it going. He literally said, blast it in the morning while everybody's here. Blast it all you want up until after 4 p.m. But then you have to not. And if we're talking about, they're stating that the reason that they can't continue to provide not during the day is also because they don't have the power to to retain. But like the big picture issue here right now is that we're switching over to a, what is a less efficient form of energy in part because they can't store it. 
I would say don't, but I feel like if they could, they would, as far as wind and solar goes. Yeah, there's no great way of storing uh, power, but that's also why, and we'll see what Avin Masaril has to say about uh, this particular issue as well, that the band's coming in 12 years and not today. Right. They're, they're, they're giving us some leeway, and they're giving us some time, and it, which is why this issue does not extend only to cars, but also to buildings. California also has some, in my opinion, very great... Uh, emission standards on buildings to make sure that most buildings run on electric instead of running on gas. Uh, but those bands are coming also by 2030, by 2035. They're coming later. I I don't believe... First, first of all, I, I do have a problem with when, when people like act uh, concerned about the impact that stuff like batteries and other, uh, other materials used to make the batteries... Um, the harm that it causes to the planet, because while it's true that they cause harm to the planet, um, if we truly didn't want to cause a lot of harm to the planet, we wouldn't be approving new leases in the Gulf, right? To 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 get more oil out of it, right? I, I don't. I think there's infinitely more damaging ways of harming the planet than producing these batteries and producing these uh, renewable the, the the energy renewable energy that we need to power our homes. So, so first of all, I, you know, I, I just, I, I don't really consider that a, like an actual, it's like, I, I don't think it's worth even discussing. <laughs> when it comes to, yeah, like, well, on, hold, like okay, on the, wait, hold on, before you go on, let okay, me, yeah, sure, yeah, sure, on. sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, ahead. okay, so the, the eco side, right, the green energy side is the side that pitches the claim we need to have basically no harm done to the planet. The carbon emissions side says we need to be responsible and we need to control the amount of harm. So from a net benefit, cost benefit stance, you're looking at what does the least damage for the maximum ability to advance as a society. And when you compare carbon emissions and those resources to the green energy, the damage that is done for lithium batteries and other rare minerals that are consumed is actually not on par in comparison to the energy output you get for carbon emissions. My stance is not, nor has it ever been, nor will it ever be, that there is no harm done. I'm saying that harm will be done, period. And what we need to do is focus on what is the most, quote-unquote, responsible way of doing that, and lithium batteries do more damage to the ecosystems than drilling. And I don't think that we should necessarily drill in the Gulf. I'm with you on that one. But there's other areas and things that we can do. And I, I no, think I, that... I also don't worry about it because I also oppose <laughs> fracking. I also I know you do. But okay, I got my piece. So, you go ahead with your, your second thing. <laughs> yeah, so, so don't worry about it. I Whatever you, you're trying to do, if you're trying to drill into the ground, unless it's for <laughs> geothermal heat pumps, then I am against it. Okay. okay? So, so, so do not worry about that. I'm against all of them. I think that that is not true. And, and the, the science, the, when, when you compare the amount of emissions that it costs, not only by nitrogen oxide released out of the homes when you burn gas, uh, by uh, carbon dioxide, but also by methane, which is one of the deadliest and most harmful pollutants that, that just exist, period, in, in the planet, uh, the amount of methane, it, have it be like, at least 20 times more harmful than carbon dioxide. And it's been released primarily out of homes and out of cars, mostly out of homes. Um, and all of this is because people are burning natural gas. By the way, the reminder that natural gas is an industry term coined by the natural gas industry to make you believe that this is natural in a way which is, which is not. Uh, so we just call it gas here. 
<laughs> the gas that has been burning homes and cars is creating methane that is in, in a big part one of the biggest contributors to climate change and and, and that is that is just a, that is just a fact and, and that there is no amount of you could burn lithium batteries out on the street and you wouldn't cause this much harm like it, it, it is it is disproportionately uh, more impactful to the planet than the creation of this renewable energy will ever be but then is the comparison the question that needs to be asked is not is the burning of the batteries versus the burning of the fuel more harmful you need to look at where the emissions actually take place and where the destruction is done so if the damage is mostly done in the burning of fossil fuels and the damage is mostly done in the collection and creation out of the rare minerals then that needs to be our comparison not just saying you can burn batteries in the street i think we really need to do a fair one-to-one yeah, comparison no, so but so then that's even better because once you create and once you start producing the batteries and when you start producing the renewable energy materials in order to create the renewable energy, then that's the biggest hurdle where you create the most pollution. But compare it to the upstream, downstream uh, pipeline, it, it's a literal pipeline yeah. that happens with, 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 with gas. Yep. That it happens when they drill it, there's leaks and there's emissions there of methane. When they go through the pipeline, they send it to the city, that's more emissions, that's more leaks. They, they pump it up to the house, more emissions and more leaks, and then they, it comes out of your kitchen stove right into your lungs. Like, that's even more emissions and more leaks. So it leaks at every point of the way. And so, yeah, no, I, I, I believe and I, I am happy uh, to say that uh, in everything that I've read and everything that I know that, that the science backs me up on this one is that the emissions out of burning gas and burning these fossil fuels is much more harmful to the environment overall than the, the production of these materials that we need to produce renewable energy. One of the problems with the green energy stance is that they want to maintain the same standard of living with energy that is less efficient. And honestly, even if we put the same amount of effort into improving the less efficient forms of energy, they're not going to be on par with alternatives. So like the solar and the wind, just with what we can store, they're not going to be on par. The lithium batteries, it's consuming rare minerals that like if you've seen a lith, like go, not you guys, but the audience, you know, Google lithium mines they do far more damage to the ecosystem than the drilling now marcelo's point is fair that it does leak but again we're looking at like cost benefit analysis in in each of those steps and we're trying to compare those i, I understand where you're coming from marcelo i think that it is important to note that like when we're talking about like the majority of disastrous spills not like the leaks the stuff that comes out which is not quite as damaging like when you think about damage that's done with carbon emission stuff it's like the spills in the gulf right and and they're trying to shift these on barges well if we did this through the pipelines instead of through that and those weren't attacked and shut down and we actually got those up and running the leaks on those is, is not significant um, keep, but, no, like statistically, and and they're not they're not stopping those either. They are they are leasing more and more in the Gulf, and they they, they keep destroying the environment there too. So so don't worry, uh, you're still getting your oil out of all those <laughs> places. Like that is that is that is but, still happening, and and the leaks <laughs> still happen. And uh, you believe me, nobody is like out there bombing the pipelines, right? They're they're protesting outside. Well, like, <laughs> a little science. Like I don't, I you know. There's if, definitely if, if, some if, destruction if, of equipment and things like that that's happened and still continues yeah, but, to happen. Yeah, but nobody, nobody's out there being like, we're going to blow up the entire pipeline. I'll put it this way. There's more attacks and bombings on the pipelines than we've had leaks on the pipelines. 
that's depending on how you define attack entirely not true especially yeah, in terms of bombing it does defend but do you see how i'm manipulating that and that is exactly what happens in these conversations you can manipulate these things to yourself because the thing with the with the the net zero type of of a perspective is that we want to maintain and and, and we can't like josh you talk about you know how much energy we consume the grids aren't equipped and i don't really see you know, I mean, we can talk about how we have the potential to invest, you know, if we weren't investing in oil and we made these more efficient. I just don't see when we're focusing on wind and solar, how we could still have the same quality of life with the same energy supply when it's not able to be stored in the same way that fossil fuels could. It, it also, it didn't used to be like this either. You're saying that the energy that we use right now is unsustainable. It is, you know, it's... It, if we were to switch to another type of energy, then we wouldn't be able to sustain the same amount of energy that we use right now. I'm but th- and, well, and I, I understand that I'm also like switching a little bit more topics to buildings, which is my area of expertise. It's fine. But um, between the 50s and 60s, uh, the, U- the U.S. government sponsored and heavily subsidized more than one and a half million miles of gas pipelines, right? That that just were implemented across the country because you couldn't. You know, now it, it makes so much sense and it's so easy for a house to be built. And then immediately, you know, the, the, the pipeline company is like, oh, here we go. And then they just put the pipeline and they connect it to other bigger pipelines and they connect it to the rest of the grid because it's just a standard procedure now. But 60 years ago, that was not that was not the case. And that, that required a lot of investment and a lot of work. And it's work that we understand that needs to happen for this new types of energy for them to be also viable and also profitable and also easy and accessible to use. So you need an equal amount of government investment that the companies got 50 years ago and are still getting now in order for us to transition into another type of energy. So so this is work that, again, still needs to be done and, and you need to put a lot of money into it if you want it to work. Yeah, well, let's... And- it's something the private sector is heavily investing too. You know, here in the United States and China and in the European market, we're seeing hundreds of billions of dollars be reshuffled around towards targeting more environmentally friendly goods and more environmentally friendly business practices. Like one thing I expect is that our energy consumption will continue to rise probably at least for the next 20 to 30 years in terms of raw electricity, but then it will taper off and then probably start to decline because we're also trying to find more power efficient ways to do things like computing, which is responsible for a massive uptick on our electric electronic consumption. People who own tens of thousands of computers in an AWS or a Microsoft Azure or a Google server farm are really concerned about what is now being called the um, performance per watt metric of a CPU. You know, how much calculations can it get done with a certain wattage of energy? Not only because they have to cool these gigantic buildings and all of these processors that are running at like 100 degrees Celsius, they have to buy all that electricity to get the dis- this processors that hot in the first place. So with technologies like we're seeing, the increased growth and development of ARM computer um, processors instead of away from x86, you know, we're seeing great innovations come in the laptop space. And I think another aspect of this is we were, we're acting like lithium's the end of battery technology. I would earnestly be shocked if in 20 years from now, when we're talking about high capacity uh, electricity storage, if we're still talking about lithium, if we even still have lithium in our phones in 20 years, because we are actively in the process. I mean, developing a newer, better battery to charge your cell phones with, because all of our cell phones use lithium ion, would be a massive discovery. Like a company that could figure out a non-lithium battery that was better than lithium could make trillions of dollars over the foreseeable future, selling that out to Apple and Samsung and all of it and Google and all the different phone makers. 
because a new battery is, you know, very desirable. So we may not even be using lithium come in the future because it is a okay uh, storage, but it has its problems. It's better than what we used before lithium. It's better than car batteries. Um, car batteries are much worse at storing uh, electricity than a lithium-ion battery is, and we only use them in very specific applications because of that. So that's where I also think not only do we see policy and private sector investments and government um, investments like with the Democrats' new climate bill they passed earlier this year and different global initiatives that are going to start taking more and more effect as governments have been passing legislation targeting 2030, 2040, and 2050 with different policy agendas, that once that becomes in place, then we'll not only see that it's easier to switch, but in the ways in which we're able to store, retain, and generate electricity can be dramatically altered in just a few short years because there's a lot of things that are going on in research labs right now that will take 10 to 15 years before the consumers are even mildly aware of it. And that's just the way technology works. So we're operating with current technology now and doing the best we can to achieve the minimum environmental impact we can, whether that's our increased use of lithium so we don't pollute the entire ocean and our entire atmosphere and we only have to contaminate, say, one local region for the mine, or whether it's shifting, you know, five, fifteen percent of our power grid off to off to renewable energies that we can use and not have to be as dependent on different types of fossil fuel based generation. Because at the end of the day, there's it's there's really not as many like ecological, you know, climate wise harmful things you can do than just to burn a whole bunch of petroleum products. Uh, you like the bar is on the floor to do better than petroleum. It's really not that difficult because it is shockingly bad. And I think that's in some sense when we got so normalized to the idea and the very American centric um, car centric focus we have where we intentionally make cities unwalkable so people can drive better in them that the everydayness of cars can somewhat act to hide just how insidious they are when we aren't even realizing it. Josh's hot takes coming in early. <laughs> uh, okay, so I want to go back to what Marcelo said about the buildings because, and Josh, you mentioned this in what the Democrats passed as their climate change bill. Uh, if if you missed it, check out the Bill Me segment on the Inflation Reduction Act, which then they've since rebranded and started calling it Climate Reduction Act. Uh, but part of what was in that conglomerate bill was subsidies for people who could afford to redo their houses to put in things like more like solar panels and stuff like that into their house. And that's what the subsidies are directed at. That's what the quote unquote green initiatives are targeting. So let's compare reality to reality. When you have those windows and other things, we can't do anything with the lithium batteries once they're done, right? So like what we talk about is the green energy, like there's stuff that like when the solar panels come off of the houses, we can't do anything with them. And we're subsidizing people who are able to redo their house to then put these on their house. And then once they're done, their lifespans, do you know, Josh, is like what, 10 years, 15 years, something like that? It's uh, probably that's it, one of those other things that will improve as we reiterate on the technology. And that's fine. But also we can argue that we've seen improvements in the oil and the other carbon emissions because we used to have much more damaging to the environment. And I'm not saying fracking is perfect, but it's a hell of a lot better and a hell of a lot cleaner and a hell of a lot, lot, lot a hell of a lot less impactful. It's been a long day with words uh, to be able we can we can get 
the same, the natural gas and things like that in a much cleaner way. So, and this is the point that I want to drive home here. You're comparing the potential and the future and the ability of innovation, but then comparing it to the current reality. I feel like we need to either continue to compare potentials for both, or we need to continue to compare the realities. I, I understand the argument. I'm not trying to straw man it here that we've put more subsidies into oil, but part of the reason for that, and there is corruption that goes on. I'm not going to say that there's not part of the reason though, is that bang for buck, the amount of energy you get for the destruction, it is better for more people than what we've currently got for EVs and things like that. Believe me, nobody was worrying about destroying forests when they passed like the bill that gave for like basically total control of the highways. <laughs> like, like if if these companies could earn ten more cents on each car and they could like burn fifty trees in the process, they would probably do it. This is not a matter that was taken. You know, they were not thinking about the planet when they did this. To the but to the point, was there a point in the past where like hauling a bunch of coal and oil was easier for like the pockets of, of Americans than trying to install a solar panel, which technology that probably didn't even exist widely 50 years ago? Probably, but not anymore. I, I like Again, we are trying, emphasis on trying, to try to transition into this renewable energy because we believe is better. Um, and it's also better for the planet, which is obviously the the one thing that everyone should be, I hope, worried about, um, and the fact that it, it is unsustainable, absolutely unsustainable to, to keep burning fossil fuels in the status that we're in. We're already seeing tremendous amounts of change. Yeah, the, change. The, the chemical reaction of burning a fossil fuel product, you take an organic material and you set fire to it, and it's going to release carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, and a few other gases. You can capture it. You can try and do some things with it. You can run certain processes through filters but there's no there's no getting around that that chemical reaction of these carbon-based materials burning left to where they are even if even if we could take and make our current carbon emissions magically 30 or 40 percent better the planet would still die it would just push it off a little bit further uh marcelo's really hits home with the point that there just is no sustainable future uh, for human life and civilization on the planet Earth and our continual use of fossil fuels. It will kill us. There's no getting around that fact. Um, and it's already killing a lot of us today, and we just don't quite realize it yet. Before we go to hot takes, I just, I just wanted to thank you for mentioning uh, the rebates and the tax credits, 25C and 25D. If you are a homeowner and... <laughs> he knows the will, items. And you would like to enjoy these tax credits that are available now, and they will go even bigger on January 1st, 2023. <laughs> so 25C is for all rebates um, and of making your house more energy efficient, and 25D is for the solar panel. So thank you for my permission. That. Yeah, That's well, great. I, <laughs> I wouldn't take that as too much of a win because it depends on two factors here. Number one, that you have the ability to own a house, and number two, that you have the ability to renovate your house. A large chunk of the population doesn't have that. So I'd like to point out that what Democrats have passed is something that still benefits the fairly wealthy people in America, including themselves. So, I mean, I, I don't I don't see this as a win for as many people as the Democrats would have you believe. But I <laughs> we're, we're going to change gears. But I do want to there's 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 a lot here. We didn't even hardly scratch this. I mean, we're just zooming through all of this. What final thoughts before we go to hot takes, Josh and Marcelo, do you have on this topic before we we get our soliloquies. I would say 
change takes time, especially when it deals with significant infrastructure pieces. It took us quite a few years to complete the Eisenhower interstate system. It took us quite a few years for the Civilian Conservation Corps projects to pan out and be beneficial when FDR was doing that. It took quite a few years for the Tennessee Valley Authority to be a useful thing for the people actually living in Tennessee Valley. But now it's responsible for about 45% of energy consumption that goes on there. So policy doesn't happen overnight, and this isn't a plan that's expecting to happen overnight. There's even smaller, mild, uh, milder goalposts that are in this piece of legislation that California is reviewing, and we already have deadlines like that. So small incremental changes is how infrastructure change happens, because there's 330 million of us, and that's a lot. And so it takes a lot of effort to build resources to serve that many people. Marcel, anything final before we go to hot takes? Go to the Department of Energy's website and contact your local state energy office uh, to know when the rebate <laughs> will be available. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be right back with our hot takes. Remember that you're listening to the Central Hub for Political Discourse. All right, Josh, if you want to briefly give them the membership announcements. Yeah, you can follow. You can join our membership program and support what we are doing here, which will also get you access to our behind-the-scenes recording when we do live recordings. We're usually on 10, 15 minutes, depending on our schedules. Uh, and you can hear us talk about even some of the things we're planning. We'll sometimes talk about episodes we're thinking about doing in the future or, you know, different shenanigans or the news stories that we find amusing for that day. And it also gets you access to our Discord where you can send us questions, ping us, and you know, we're there and interactive. So we'd <laughs> love for you to support us. Yes. And remember that you can check out the limited series, although it's 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 a long limited series because there's so much to deal with. Uh, you can check out Blueprint uh, that I'm doing with Ken from Taboo Topic, where we just kind of go through and unpack what was some of the Founding Fathers' intentions, how has that evolved, what would we change now, if anything, why would we make those decisions? And then at the end of this series, this will be the fun part, uh, we're actually going to like propose our own constitutional thing, our own amendments, and then put it out to viewers to ratify. All right, well, we'll go back to our hot takes and we'll let Marcelo kick us off. There's so much to say. Viewers will know this is my favorite topic, talking about the thing that will kill us all in a few years. Um, I will I will just say, you know, uh, maybe I'm just repeating Josh's points uh, right now, but it's basically, yes, you are making this law. It's not tomorrow. It's in a few years. It's going to take time. They're also not, not the only thing they're doing. They're also putting a lot of more incentives for private corporations to switch to building more electric vehicles. They're also building more EV charging stations. They're also doing the same for buildings. They're doing the same for a lot of other industries that together, hopefully, will get the grid ready for not even for the next 10 years, but maybe for the next five, for the next hell, for the next summer, probably, because they're already so strained and, and, and they're having such a hard time trying to cope with the energy demand. I'm very positive on this. Not the only state that's doing it. New York also doing great. DC passed a very similar law for buildings um, over the summer. It's very exciting. Very exciting stuff. I can't wait for these governments to finally uh, actually do something. And if you are in a Republican state, uh, I would say don't worry because nothing like this will probably ever pass there, at least not while these people are in office. So just rest easy and we'll just let the rest of us take the, take the reins. But yes, the planet's dying. There is no viable path for the, for the future for our species with fossil fuels. So just keep that in mind when you're trying to compare the pros and cons. All right. Uh, my first hot take, 
Uh, brownouts and blackouts are the result of poor planning and poor leadership. I think that we saw in the case in Texas, they didn't plan for things. They made assumptions that they shouldn't have. They dealt with climates that they shouldn't have. And like, there's, it's just unfortunate all around. But like in California, we're also seeing same instances. There's a, a, a over commitment to less efficient forms of energy, which I, I do understand Josh's point that there are energy grids and stuff that maybe can't put out more power. And I'll, I'll assume that that's true because Josh knows more about the electrical stuff than I do. But even going off of that, why aren't we investing more energy, more money into things like that then? Because I think that if we could find ways to make those power systems and grid systems better, then we would see a greater change that would also not decreases people's quality of life. So any any of those brownout, blackout issues in any of the states, I would say can pretty much be summed up in either poor planning, poor leadership, or both. And California has been suffering with those a lot. And I think that is in part because of the leadership of Gavin Newsom of where he is steering that ship. I would also say, secondly, that uh, this, whether it's EVs or housing stuff, like that's the main two things we've talked about. It's not addressing the key issues. Like we're still continuing to invest in what is objectively less efficient forms of energy. If we were talking about other forms of clean energy that were not solar, that were not wind, then I would be changing the way that I address this. But because that's where California is going, specifically in this legislation, it's not addressing the key issue. Wind, wind subsidies, solar subsidies, especially if they're not increasing the grid, they're not addressing what is the core problem. If, if Josh is saying that's the core problem, then we're, we're not addressing that with the EVs here. And I would argue they're making the issue worse because you can even charge your electric vehicle in California if you're a citizen. It's because it's, it's reserved. Now, they create exceptions for their government officials who, quote unquote, need to get places. But they're telling citizens at this point... If you, they're not enforcing it yet, but they're saying, yeah, if you can avoid charging an electric vehicle, don't do it. So, you know, you need to find alternative ways to get around. And they're also crippling the quality of life. People having to keep their thermostat at 78 degrees, a terranium level of heat and humidity. Uh, and they're not addressing the core issue there. Telling someone, let's switch to EVs and then you can't charge your EV or use your EV. It's not addressing the key issue. And then lastly, I would say that it is a false premise that is overconfident. Um, it's overconfidently presented by the Democratic Party right now is that we can switch to our current proposals of green energy and still maintain the quality of life. I understand the argument can be made that things evolve, but that cuts both ways, which makes it kind of a moot point. And right now we've got better forms of energy for in many ways, less damage to the environment than we see for the same amount of productivity when it is applicable. You're just, you're seeing trade-offs here. And I, I think that we would really need to drastically change the quality of life that we have. And we, I don't think that we will. I don't think that, and, and so for the Democratic Party to be presenting this as you can maintain this and not have to change your lifestyle, I think they're misleading. And I don't know if that's deliberate or not, but I truly think that we would need to drastically change our lifestyle. Josh might come in and Marcelo might say that, you know, that's, that's what they prefer. I think that you, if that's what you prefer, just be aware that that's probably what that would take. And I would say this lastly about the Green Initiative. It takes the disingenuous approach of comparing the flaws of the current system to the possibility of an idealized future. Most of the arguments made today in favor of this is, well, it'll continue to evolve. It sucks right now, but let's subsidize it and get going, blah, 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 blah. That at a point becomes a logical fallacy because you can't look at a system with its flaws and say, that means throw it out. 
And let's overlook the flaws of the current system. I think we need to be approaching this with eyes wide open on both sides here as far as the electric vehicles and the green initiatives, as well as what takes place with the carbon. So uh, to start off my hot take, like I do every time we talk about the climate, uh, position number one is climate change is going to kill us all. And I mean that in the most grave, serious political sense I can ever give to people to say that our current way of life is holistically unsustainable from our levels of energy consumption to the way we consume products like food. If every person in the world ate red meat like the citizens of the United States do and the residents of the United States do, we would not have enough land on earth, even if we destroyed every single human residence to pasture enough cows. Nowhere. If we leveled every forest, every city, and turned every ass square inch of the Sahara Desert somehow into crop fields, we could not house enough cows to eat meat like Americans do and let alone have enough field to feed those animals as well. So there are critical aspects of the way we live our lives here in the United States that, yes, must change for human life to continue. Because the harsh reality of climate changes for tens of millions of people, possibly hundreds, hundreds of millions of people, the policy decisions we make now are far too late and they're already dead. They're alive right now. But the weather incident that will kill them has already happened, has already been put into place by the chemical reactions we put in. And there's not some magic switch that we can make, do to make tsunamis, or not make tsunamis, make typhoons, hurricanes, tornadoes, any less terrible than they're going to be. To make forest fires that are destroying people's homes and encroaching further and further closest to us any more tolerable. To fix the drought going on where we're seeing cities run out of water. So we are going to have to make change to the way we live because the American style of life can only be described as opulence and disregard for everything we should hold sacred and reverent. We destroy with impunity our planet and the things that nurture us with no reconcilence for the consequences that future generations are going to have to pay for this. At worst case scenario, you get people like ExxonMobil who knew they were killing the planet and then started disinformation campaigns in the uh, 70s and 80s to prevent the public from finding out about that. No different than when corporations campaigned that cigarettes were good for you in the 40s and 50s. Corporations aren't our friends, and they will make as much money as they can and build their rich little bunkers and leave us to die, like they did with the Ford Pinto, when they knew there was a critical design flaw with it, that they knew people were going to burn to death, and Ford had a patent and had the machines to change the car and make it different, and didn't, because it wouldn't have been as profitable. 500 people burned to death, alive, because it wasn't going to be as profitable for Ford. The blood of our people, of our children, of our future generations means nothing to these corporations. Their disinformation campaigns have literally gotten millions of people killed, and there's no reason to believe it will be any different in the future. If we don't take incredible action now, significant portions of human society aren't going to be salvageable. Society breaks down at about 120 to 130 degrees Fahrenheit or about 40 degrees Celsius. Birds start falling out of the sky dead. Animals on the street will collapse and die. Buildings will not be occupiable. We might complain that we are setting our air conditionings at 78 degrees. Well, having air conditioning is a pretty unique thing to the United States. A lot of Europe's been going through 101, 102 heat waves like they saw in England without air conditioning at all. We have to make changes because we've damn near killed our planet. And we're going to be really lucky 
if we haven't already killed ourselves. Think how badly the world freaked out over a couple hundred thousand Syrian refugees. Now think what happens when there's several hundred million climate refugees. How is the world going to react? And the answer is probably not good. And that is what we've done. And so we have to do everything in our power to make sure it doesn't get any worse than the terrible situation we're already in and we don't even realize it. All right, I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitch, and Google Podcasts. And if you follow us on our social medias, we'll keep you updated on when and where we meet, where you can find us on a weekly basis. And if you enjoy this show, we sure would appreciate a five-star review. And if you'd share us with your friends, like and subscribe to this channel, and we'll catch you back here next week. Goodbye for now.